Welcome to this special episode of the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. We are collaborating with the Time's Up PRS initiative, which promotes diversity in plastic surgery education and leadership. In this series, we will be interviewing plastic surgeons about their career paths and learning about the experiences that led them to become the successful surgeons that they are today. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Amanda Gosman, who is the chief of the Division of Plastic Surgery at UC San Diego School of Medicine and the program director of the Craniofacial Fellowship Program in San Diego, California. Dr. Gosman specializes in craniofacial and pediatric plastic surgery, ranging from craniosynostosis surgery, cleft lip and palate repair, and gender affirmation surgery. She has started a number of nonprofit organizations, such as Connect Med International and the Fresh Start Clinic for Craniofacial Anomalies at Rady Children's Hospital San Diego to help provide healthcare and education to underserved communities around the world. Dr. Gosman has served in many national leadership roles, including the chair of the ethics community for the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, and was honored with the inaugural Women's Leadership Award at UC San Diego last year. Dr. Gosman, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you so much, Rachel. So to start, I would love to hear about your background and how it influenced you. Thank you. I think we all have an origin story. I had a really fortunate upbringing. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and I had a wonderful opportunity to participate as an exchange student in Egypt when I was in high school. And this really lit a fire in me because it was my first exposure really to our global environment. And really, I was very stimulated by understanding and just being confronted with disparity. And I initially thought that I wanted to pursue a career related to international development and global outreach. And went to school for urban planning and architecture initially. However, I found that it was really challenging to address the needs of large communities in an academic setting. And I was persuaded because I had a series of summer jobs working in healthcare because I had family members that were in healthcare that there was an opportunity through that route to really be able to direct your impact to individuals. And that eventually persuaded me as well as some family events where I was concerned for the health of my parents and a couple of other issues to pursue a career in medicine with the hope of really continuing along that passion to explore a career that was globally relevant and trying to figure out ways to use healthcare and to use all of the incredible resources that I had been privy to and had access to and be able to use those to try to address larger issues of equity and disparity. So that was my main motivation for going into medical school. When I went into medical school, I continued to be really involved in international outreach. I spent a year living in Central America because I felt that it was a requirement really to work in healthcare to speak Spanish because so much of our population was Spanish speaking and I wanted to be able to communicate with my patients. So I took that year and really immersed myself with the goal of continuing to explore what is the best way to participate in global health care, but also to develop a language fluency. And in that process, I worked on a number of farms throughout Guatemala, um, providing health care to indigenous migrant workers for half of the year. And then the other half of the year, I worked on a mobile surgical unit in Ecuador and assisted on surgeries in the back of a truck 
um, throughout the Amazon basin. And that was a really fantastic experience and introduced me to the use of technology or telemedicine. And this was back in the mid nineties when they were using low bandwidth radio to overcome logistical barriers. And that had a really huge impact on my career and the development of, of our nonprofit. So all of these events became structured education or somewhat unstructured education to try to figure out how to ethically engage in an environment where you frequently don't completely understand all the variables and factors, but to try to be a contributor and engage with stakeholders to provide improved access to healthcare. I struggled a lot in medical school to try to figure out what I wanted to do for my specialty. I really enjoyed surgery, but I couldn't really quite figure out how that was going to gel with my end goal, which was really to be involved in global healthcare. And ultimately at the end of this year working overseas and living overseas, somebody had suggested kind of at the last minute as an afterthought that you should consider plastic surgery travels really well. They've done a lot of humanitarian outreach. And when I came back kind of at the, you know, really the end of my medical school career, which was a little off schedule in my fourth year, I did a plastic surgery rotation and decided that was really the perfect fit. So that's how I ended up in, in plastic surgery. Were there any role models or mentors that helped influence your decision and made you confident in your decision once you rotated? I had one very strong mentor in plastic surgery when I came back. It was literally like coming out of the jungle. When I came back, to, I went to medical school in Cleveland and there was a plastic surgeon who had just taken over the Case Western program named Ed Luce, who's really been a pioneer and huge contributor to plastic surgery education. He was like the founder of the Plastic Surgery Educational Network and a lot of initiatives that kind of create the foundation for what we use as a residency curriculum in this modern age. He was really the one that kind of took me under his wing and really spent a lot of time to show me the breadth and scope of plastic surgery, which I think was very attractive to me because I, I was never really a hardcore scientist. I was always much more on kind of the artistic spectrum and creative spectrum of academic pursuits. So being able to see the breadth and innovation and creativity that went into that specialty was really something that he exposed me to. And I was very grateful for that. And he actually created kind of a wormhole of plastic surgeons that went from Case Western and um, trained in Dallas where I did my residency. And I was the second in a pipeline until the program closed, but it was really a pivotal moment for me. And um, it was wonderful to be able to thank him for that. When I see him now at meetings and you know, just really, it's amazing how these little touch points can make such a huge impact in your career. I will say that Medical school in general was very challenging to try to find role models. And I think role models come in all shapes and sizes. I really realized very early on in medical school, at least at that time period in the 90s, that I didn't feel like there was anyone that was doing what I wanted to do. And it, that made it a little bit difficult because I didn't see anyone doing what I wanted to do. And I kind of gave up very early on in the process, thinking that I was going to find that individual and just, I'm just going to have to figure this out. And I'm going to do what I feel like is my passion and what I feel is going to probably be something that doesn't necessarily have the perfect role model. And now you serve that role for 
a number of students. I know you've been a big mentor here at UCSD, not only for students interested in plastic surgery, but also global surgery effort. So you're passing that on, which is great. And since we're currently celebrating Women's History Month, I wanted to kind of turn the conversation to how your experience as a woman in the field of medicine and specifically in plastic surgery, how has your gender influenced your experiences? Yeah, it's a great question. And I try not to get too caught up in in the war stories, although it's very easy. (laughs) Thinking back on my first surgery rotation, this was why I really grappled with my choice over what specialty to go into because my general surgery experience, again, in Cleveland at a busy county hospital, there was one female surgeon who was just like, I had obviously been through such a horrible experience to get to where she was that there was just like really nothing left over for anyone, probably even herself. And she was just feared and avoided and absolutely like terrifying. And there was no way that she just even had a scrap of herself left over after what I'm sure she had endured. And the lifestyle and that environment where it was just very militaristic, white male dominated, and then there was nothing that was really in place to take care of oneself or to tolerate any deviation from that mold of the traditional white male surgeon with a hidden economy of a wife that was taking care of their family and allowing all of these other possibilities to happen to support them in that role was just very unsavory. And it became very clear to myself. I was like, there is no way I'm going to go through general surgery this is just a miserable lifestyle. And so I knew that was the case. And eventually I looked into surgical subspecialties, fortunately, but I would say Jenner had a huge role to play in that. And there was one female resident who really tried to convince me to go into surgery. And these were like conversations that we had literally while we were laying down on the floor in the locker room, trying to take a 15 minute power nap on call when we were on call every other night. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. This is not a convincing argument. I think that there is this generation of women that have many generations or several generations, at least that have come up before me that have just fought tooth and nail to play any claim and were constantly in a state of adversity. And I think that we really stand on their shoulders and very grateful for everything that they were able to achieve that makes it possible. I really see myself, hopefully as a transitional generation, you know, my own surgical training was, was very challenging in many more of the explicit ways than we talk about today in terms of focusing on, you know, implicit bias and and prejudice. There were many aspects of it that were very explicit, but I hope now that we look behind us and see people like you and that the pipeline is half full of these incredibly intelligent, powerful women who are so well suited to our specialty that I just hope that I can help to be a conduit so that we can really attract more women into leadership and have some individuals that will see that it's worth some of the sacrifice and endure some of the challenges of this transitional period so that we can really have a seat at the table and 
help to really raise awareness amongst our, our male colleagues, because I think that's one of the large barriers that we face is that it's really easy for us to speak amongst ourselves about what horrible experiences we may have had or what we want to do differently or change. But the much larger problem is like effectively being able to get our male colleagues on board and to see that perspective and not just see it as something that's a threat or is something that is is just being permitted in the name of filling quotas and adjusting numbers. And do you feel like your gender has influenced your interactions with patients positively or negatively? Oh, definitely. I think, again, I think plastic surgery is, is unique among surgical specialties. And this is why I'm so hopeful for the future because the majority of our patients are women. And so many of the patients that I see feel like they're not necessarily being heard by sometimes by our male colleagues. So I think that there is like a level of empathy and understanding that comes with many patients and not all. I think there's also still many patients that really prefer to have the opinion of a male. So I think it goes both ways, but I think that Many times, relatability about our bodies, about how our bodies change, especially with different phases of life and how that is invested in our self-esteem, because essentially we're really working mostly in the currency of quality of life for many of the things that we do. And granted that it definitely includes a functional component, but we also address the social and psychological components of well-being. And those are really intimately related. And when we know that women who have breast reconstruction have better survival than can- from cancer, there's so many aspects of what we do that change our appearance that also really change our physiology in ways that we don't completely understand. So I think there are things that women can understand better about female patients. I think a lot of it does come to communication, but I also think that there are certain individuals that have different preferences for communication that may more effectively communicate with male colleagues. But there's a very common complaint to see women that come in and say that my implants are too big and the surgeon didn't listen. And that was something that I've probably heard a hundred times. So I think being able to listen and understand a little bit more of the personal experience with our bodies and with self-esteem does give you some advantage with relating to your patients. I think that it is also very common to just be misidentified as, as not being a physician. So there's definitely significant cohorts of patients that see you as a nurse or see you as inferior, or you're not strong enough, or you're not really capable and will refer to the male in the room. So there's a lot of that that still goes on. And I think as we look at changing the demographics of physicians in healthcare, that a lot of times this emphasis is in how many surgeons you have of different demographics and how are we supporting diversity. But I think a lot of the challenges that we face and becoming a diverse workforce are not just amongst our colleagues, but also amongst our patients and the hospital staff and just how we're perceived as a part of this large system and team. And having a diverse workforce that represents the population will only better serve the patients that we do have. My last question is that if you have one piece of advice specifically for women aspiring to be plastic surgeons, what would that be? 
it's been wonderful to have more female residents because they really have taught me a lot. I think coming up in the very traditional surgical training paradigm, that was something that I just naturally adopted. And I do really realize that women respond differently to environments and that for each individual actually really need to tailor the way that we teach and inspire. For everyone across the board, I think that in medicine, when you take a Hippocratic oath, you are making a huge sacrifice in your life. You are saying that other people are more important than you. And that means that other people are more important than at times your family. And that when your patient is having some horrible complication that you may have to miss out on some important life events. And I think that it's not just the sleepless nights and the hard work and kind of the tireless struggle, but really thinking about the sacrifice that you make to become a provider and especially a surgeon where you're doing invasive things. It can be really hard to manage the heartbreak, not only that your patients may feel, but that you may feel when you have complications and how to manage those things. It's just a very difficult strain on your psyche. So I think man or woman, that if you're going to have a career in medicine, it better be something that you're really passionate about and that you love. And that sometimes it may not look like this is the best, most logical choice, but that eventually a lot of times doors will open when you are passionate about pursuing aspects of taking care of other humans. So that's kind of my baseline advice. I think specifically for women, what I see is one of the big differences is that we do tend to be much more self-critical about many things and question ourselves. And this is the example that I've talked about before is just that when I look at some of our male residents and ask them how things are going in a case, they're like, yeah, I'm making magic. And then when I ask like our female residents are like, well, I don't know if this was right, or maybe I should do this differently. And there's a lot of second guessing. So I think that at some level, if we accept this opportunity and this gift to provide for people in an invasive way, that we do have to trust ourselves and believe in ourselves. And I think that this is something that we can really learn from our male colleagues as well. Dr. Gosman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. We appreciate the opportunity to share your story and know it will inspire those who are listening. Thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate your interest and really excited about the future. One of the things that really, I think, flipped the switch for me recently is just the realization that for you and your generation, that there isn't the same level of tolerance for injustice and inequity that my generation had. And when I look back at being in medical school and the decisions that we made, we were very much in a survivor mode, much like that surgeon that I referenced earlier. And that's why I really feel like we're this transitional generation. We wanted to get through, we wanted to keep our head down, do the best possible job that we could and continue to pursue our goals and our dreams. But I think the magic is that for the younger generation, that they're also going to stand up for all of these principles that will all make us stronger as a specialty, that will help us to really push the envelope and change our demographics so it truly does represent our patients. And I really just can't wait for that day. And it definitely helps having attendings who are focused on creating a better work environment for all different kinds of people instead of perpetuating things that might have been 
a different environment in the past. So thank you for being a part of that. Yes, absolutely. And just one last thing, I definitely, I think as we've like gone through and done a lot of this research and just like looking at the barriers to leadership and why people make choices to step out of that lineage, I think a lot of it really boils down to taking care of, of individuals, families. And that doesn't necessarily mean you having children, but it could be children or parents or whatever, or your partner. But I think that really reinventing this family structure and system that supports the family structure is really critical. And, and I hope that we can all really make important strides to provide more equitable access to individuals and their families and their children so that everyone can participate in leadership if that's what they desire. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Rachel. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.